All right, guys, welcome back. Thank you for tuning in, whoever is listening. Welcome back, guys. My name is Grayson Mann, and this is the Man of the Plan podcast. It's either going to be your Friday night or your Saturday morning podcast. And as you can tell with the background behind me, we are not in our usual recording spot. So I've had to change some things around. The audio, I hope, is what it is desired to be. I apologize also. I'm still getting over a cold. You could probably tell. In the Larry Williams episode, you could probably tell in the Devontae Holloman episode, I got to get something figured out for that because it has been coughing and just the stuffy feeling for a while. So besides that, by you can tell in the background, I am right now in Durham, North Carolina for the ACC tournament covering Clemson baseball for Tiger Illustrated. And so I thought, you know, we might be up here for a couple days and I want to get a podcast in. And I had some ideas floating around back and forth about what I wanted to do, how I wanted to film it, what was my game plan. And so here we are. You can see on my wrist, I've got this baseball wristband credential. So I just want to thank the ACC for hosting this event and allowing us to stay here. And I want to thank Tiger Illustrated for sending me out and be able to cover this event. It's been really fun so far. We've been here since Wednesday. Uh, We've had two games. We had an off day yesterday where I sat and I, can show you that bed right there and just did nothing it was perfect but i also had time to brew some ideas be able to figure out okay what are we doing today what is the game plan so this morning i went to I just, this podcast will be two things i want to talk about my experience in durham i want to talk about clemson baseball and just the turnaround that they've had and what i've witnessed since i've been covering them for tiger illustrator or clemsonrivals.com you can subscribe now fun deal but the Two things I want to cover. I want to talk about Clemson baseball and their turnaround, and I want to talk about this series. So originally I had, I want to shout out Corinna for the excellent job that she's done with the logos and all that. And so just the crazy amount and, all right, just got to click away some things, but I want to just commend, really just commend on her. She's been doing a fantastic job. And if she's listening, thank you so much. It's nice to have an extra member on the team makes my life a little bit easier and she's been a valuable asset. So go thank her in the comments, go thank her on Instagram. She does great stuff and she's a great photographer and editor at Clemson. So we had an idea of, okay, we're going to do the the NBA finals. We're going to preview that because of what was going on with the Denver Nuggets and the Miami Heat. Both of them were up 3-0. So you think, okay, logically it's going to be an NBA finals preview in a couple days. And then this trip came along. So we thought, okay, Eric Backich, Clemson baseball, they're on fire right now. Let's talk about them. We got a very wide base, and there's an appetite for baseball right now as the postseason is here. And so I was going to talk, can now it was originally going to be, we're going to talk about Clemson baseball and preview the NBA finals, but now it's flipped a little bit. It's the Clemson baseball turnaround, as I've said. And what in the world are Boston chance, Boston's chances at making history? And we'll talk about that later. But right now, we're going to talk about where I am. We're going to talk about the present and the now. And that is Clemson baseball. So I think for any team in any program, whether it's baseball, basketball, football, hockey, lacrosse, getting a new coach, bringing in new ideas is always so exciting. You've seen it with Clemson and Garrett Riley, bringing in a new coach with new ideas, with a fresh mindset. You almost feel like you're hitting the reset button. It's a restart. 
you get to start over in a sense. And with Garrett Riley, it's not as extreme as whether if it was going to be Dabo Sweeney replaced. But I think generally there is an excitement about a new head coach being hired because you're bringing in that new set of ideas. You're bringing in a fresh philosophy. And for Clemson baseball, they recently, they last summer, they had fired Monty Lee after failing to make the postseason yet again. Clemson baseball is usually one of those teams that you think about, and I've seen a lot of tweets about it. Clemson, or baseball for that matter in general, has been a lot better since Clemson and South Carolina have really picked it up. Both are set to potentially host a regional in the next week. And you bring in some names. Who is it going to be? Is it going to be the guy from Coastal Carolina? Is it going to be maybe somebody internally? What is athletic director Graham Neff going to do? And he goes outside the box with the hire of Eric Baggage, who I had the pleasure of sitting down with a couple of weeks ago for Tiger Illustrated. And from the beginning, I remember doing some quick research on him when he was initially hired, a guy that's been very successful everywhere he's gone, took a Michigan team that wasn't supposed to be there in the College World Series. His DNA is about playing smart baseball. It's all about, as he puts it, from the shoulders up. It's about playing baseball with this and not this. And if you're listening to on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, I pointed to my head and I did some flexing, which for me is not very impressive, but for some it is. And this is a baseball roster with Clemson with a ton of talent, a ton of athleticism. If you look at guys like Caden Grice, who towers over you and, and sitting in press conferences with him, doing a sit-down interview with him, I'm an aunt to him. He's a big guy, has a lot of power. A lot of athleticism. It was all about channeling it. And for Backich, he comes in first press conference. We're not doing our Twitter swings. We're going to be playing as a team. We're going to be playing as a unit. We're going to be playing with our heads. We're going to be using our minds. We got to strengthen that part. And for me, it was, okay, how long does this take for, for Backich to really see the results? Because in a place like Clemson, when a blue blood program like Clemson baseball results are going to be very important. And originally, at the beginning of the season, midway through the season, there was a crossroads uh, to speak out on the outside. There were 17 and 14. There were two and eight in conference play. They were fresh off of a loss to Florida State and Tallahassee. And so you're thinking, yeah, this team has shown some flashes, but I don't know if it's going to be there all just yet. The product was there. You saw what they had. You saw some growth. But hey, it's year one. It's a program that's going to have to reinvent themselves. Maybe it doesn't happen all in a year. And then just miraculous turnaround. Clemson baseball has won 14 straight. They've won 19 out of their last 20 games. Boston College in last April, I think two two days, or I guess less than about, I'd say 28, 29 days ago, they lost to Boston College and Chestnut. And that's about it. They've won 19 out of their last 20 games. They won 14 straight, like I just said. They've been unbelievable. They have... I have wrote an article about it on TigerIllustrated.com. They're giving up less runs. I think they're averaging about 8.12 runs per game, and they're giving up about four. I think it's 7.81 to 4.12 runs. It's about a 3.56 run differential that they've had in this stretch that are playing smarter. And it's all about the guy leading this charge in Eric Bakich. And every single time you talk to him, it's about the culture. It's about the team. Deflects all that attention away that should be rightfully set on him because what they're doing right now is miraculous. And when I think about it with what I've experienced last year, it was the 2022 Boston Celtics. They start 18 and 21. They're 
struggling to finish games or struggling to close out teams. They have star power. They have Tatum. They have Brown. They have Horford. Smart. They've got a team that can make the postseason and make a run, but they didn't have the coach, a burnt-out coach, rather, and Brad Stevens, who couldn't utilize all that talent and get them to play smart basketball. They go from 18-21 to 21 to the second seed in the East. They beat the Katie Kyrie Nets. They beat Giannis and the Bucks. They go and beat Jimmy Butler and the Miami Heat, who we are seeing right now is capable of making deep postseason runs playing the smart brand of basketball, the Spolstra brand of basketball. Backage reminds me a lot of that, is taking that roster at its core, taking it at face value, and be able to bring the most out of every single player. You've got guys like Billy Amick, who didn't even start in the nine-man rotation, who was at one point in a 20-game stretch, I think he was averaging a .619 as his batting average. It was crazy what he was doing. I think he was 18 to 26 he was going on an incredible run, and he talked about it this week This week in Durham as he's an example of what this culture is all about, is he's living proof that, hey, if you buy into this process and you start playing the right way for the team, things will be better because of it. And you've got guys like Caden Grice who had struggles his sophomore year who started really, I think he's a Golden Spikes semifinalist. Big improvements. Cam Canarella, a freshman, a soft-spoken freshman. When he steps onto the field, it's a little different. It, there's a little bit of an attitude and energy to him. Not a cocky attitude, but a confident attitude going, hey, I can do whatever I want on this field. Backage said to us, when you have a team that feels invincible, they can do just about anything. And that's a powerful thing is belief. And I think that's what I take away from the Backage year one era is you get them to buy in and you take that roster at its core you take it at face value and go, how can I maximize this team? And they've done that. They've studied. They've worked their tails off. And now, for me, I was there at the beginning, took a little bit of break in the middle right before they started to get it going. And I've been there for a lot of these games. I was at every home game that they were at. I was at some midweeks. I was at a midweek against Georgia State where Amick walked off a grand slam. I was there when they swept UNC, swept Louisville. There's a lot to this team. They're they're doing the right things. They're doing the little things the right way, and it's really paying off in big ways. You had a game on Wednesday against Virginia Tech. It's a close game. In the sixth inning, things are feeling a little tight potentially, and there's a pop-up, and Virginia Tech is not able to secure it. There's a big mistake. Well, maybe a team in the past, maybe you get a run or two out of it. Clemson got six. You had Canarella, who had a 12-pitch at-bat. There's that patience in a youngster that maybe you don't get out of someone others, a coach. Maybe, maybe another coach isn't able to get that out of somebody or be able to say, hey, just fight through it, battle through the count. It's been impressive to see what they've been able to do. And I know from a Clemson reporter's perspective, from a Clemson student's perspective, I don't want this to feel like a homer take, but I think everyone across the country is seeing what I'm seeing, seeing what this Clemson core is seeing is that this team is capable of good things. And as the postseason continues to take its baby steps, it's been fun to watch. So as of right now, Clemson's the number five seed, according to D1 Baseball, one of the national seeds in the country and could host not only a regional, but a super regional. So we'll see how it goes for Backage and his crew in year one. But I think the key takeaway is if you haven't hopped on yet, I think it's exciting and you need to definitely stay tuned for more. So transitioning from that, from one exciting thing to another, we've got the NBA Finals a couple days away it's may 26th the day that i'm recording this potentially the day that this podcast drops as well but at that same breath we've had two potential sweeps in the conference finals you had the nuggets and the lakers the lakers being the story of the west where 
LeBron, Anthony Davis, Austin Reeves. Everybody's clicking at the right time. They're playing great basketball. They just beat the John Morant Grizzlies, who had a thunderstorm of controversy. They go to Golden State and beat the defending champs in several close games. And then they had the, the Nuggets, who a lot of people, including myself, I believe, didn't give them the fair shake that they deserved. Because boy, oh boy, was that Nuggets team ready to go from the jump. Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr. This team clicks very well. They play great basketball. Their star Jokic can drop a 30-point triple-double at will, it feels like. And it just felt like the Lakers, to me, ran into a brick wall. There was a point in game two where everybody got their hands on their knees. They were gassed. And I thought to myself, man, if Los Angeles can't close this out, they're going to get swept because this Lakers team feels old to me. LeBron is 38. He's starting to get on his last legs. Even there was a conversation about him considering retirement. You have Anthony Davis, who historically isn't able to stay healthy. you got D'Angelo Russell, who's been bouncing from team to team, started to lose his shot around game one. I think he ended up going. It was it was a really rough stretch. I don't know the exact number, but couldn't even put him on the floor. Bad stretch. And so with Denver, it's they've got the fresh legs. They've got the youth. They ended up winning that game off of the greatness of Jamal Murray, who I believe dropped 35 points that night and had a fourth quarter explosion. He wasn't shooting the ball well either until the fourth quarter. He just kept that belief. And I think what Mike Malone does so well is a little bit of what Backage does. It's that taking that roster at face value and being able to maximize that potential. That Nuggets team has been very homegrown with the exception of a couple of free agent signings here and there. I think Bruce Brown was their big splash in free agency, but the core of Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic, Michael Porter Jr. through the draft, they've been able to build that very organically. And you saw that it finally came together. They were this year's Celtics where they took that leap and they got to the finals. So we'll see if they're able to close it out regardless of who they face in the East. And I say that because it felt like four days ago, their opponent in the East was a foregone conclusion in the Miami Heat who had blasted Boston in a Game 3 defeat that had narratives flying. It had Missoula on the ropes in terms of his potential job security because we've seen coaches in the NBA this offseason, Budenholzer, Rivers, Monty Williams, get axed for having relatively successful seasons. Doc Rivers, I know he probably more than most was on the chopping block just because of his history of blown series leads and not being able to maximize his opportunities. Say the word maximize. It feels like a theme today. Monty Williams, they go all in for Kevin Durant, take a big swing, and they're not able to get it done. He gets axed. He gets fired. Then you have Boonholzer, who loses to this eventual, potentially Eastern Conference champion Miami Heat, but at that time, losing to an eight seed is unacceptable. With the roster that you have, with Giannis, with Drew Holiday, they weren't able to get it done in a year where they had the best record in the NBA next to Boston. So they're thinking, we have to make a change. So the media naturally goes, okay, rookie head coach who kind of looks out of his skis could be fired after game four in Miami, only that wasn't the case. And here we are today. Boston has won two straight. They're heading back to Miami tomorrow night to play the Heat in what should be a game six that's going to be a dogfight. But I just want to give some context before we start. And I think this Boston identity of basketball can be found it potentially has been because this Miami team, there's been a phrase that I'm just going to repeat and echo that many media pundits have been throwing around today is that 
hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. But when talent starts to work hard, you get results like you did last night where Boston's shooting the ball well. They're creating turnovers. I believe they're the first team to have four starters with, I think it was like they had 12 three-pointers made and 12 steals. So they were making it happen on both sides of the floor. They were creating chaos. And with Gabe Vincent out for Miami, it was crucial for Boston to make those lanes incredibly difficult to get by. There was no space for these defenders, guys like Duncan Robinson, who actually had a nice night. Bam Adebayo, the second he gets near the basket, he's crowded by a Robert Williams or a Jason Tatum and a Marcus Smart and a triple-double team. And Adebayo looks confused. He doesn't know what to do. So there's certainly been adjustments made that previously that conceived notion was that Missoula couldn't make one is that against this Miami team that's been, I'd say, the story of the playoffs. They've done things that I didn't think were possible. I didn't think they were going to beat the Bucs, for starters. I thought the Bucs had that in five, potentially. You know, the, you know the Heat with Jimmy Butler are going to give you challenges. And then I thought, okay, I think they can potentially get to the Eastern Conference Finals, like I said on our interview with Jack Simone, a uh, Celtics blog writer. I thought, okay, yeah, Miami get to the get to the Eastern Conference Finals, but against Boston, against a team that has practically the NBA Finals laid out for them on a red carpet, where you have a Philadelphia team that's so up and down with James Harden and Joel Embiid, which Boston eventually handled in seven games after a Tatum 51-point performance. But you go into game one, Miami steals one, they cre- they make shots, Jimmy Butler, Max Struess. They, it's just like how we're talking about maximization. Spolstra takes that roster at face value in the playoffs, and everybody's playing like a superstar. Gabe Vincent, I think averaging, he's shooting by 50% from the field. You got Max Struess and Duncan Robinson. I think at one point in this series, their undrafted free agents were outscoring Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown in certain games. In game two, I believe they did. And certainly they did in game three, where they put the beat down on the Celtics. And so you thought, okay, yeah, this is a sweep. This is a foregone conclusion. So my, po- my the question that I pose is, are we about to see history being made? And I think a lot of people believed, okay, yeah, Boston might get one. Well, I don't know. This team is so unpredictable. They're so up and down. We saw this pattern last year in the playoffs where you didn't know which team was going to show up, the team that brought the intensity or the team that gives some spurts here and there and Tatum disappears and Jalen Brown is making shots with four people guarding him in the mid-range in the post at the top of the something. They're just, it's it's a it's a cluster, as you, you'd imagine, with his style of play, his erratic dribbling. The way he just gets the line, if you're a Celtics fan, you're nervous every time he's holding the ball close to a defender because you don't know if it's going to go off his foot or it's going to go in the basket. So when they're down 3-0, there's a lot of questions. And I think for me, I do think Miami eventually holds on. But the fact that I'm having to sit here and make a podcast about potentially history being made, it's worthy of something. And I think it's evident that this team has some certain respect for Missoula and is fighting for them and that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are more than capable. This Boston Celtics team, as it currently is constructed, is more than capable of winning a game in Miami where they've won their last four out of five and winning a game in Boston, a game seven, where we've seen, yeah, they're very capable of winning that kind of game on the road. So being down 3-2 is different than being down 3-0. And a lot of people are saying, oh yeah, 3-2, down, being down 3-2 series isn't that bad, but also with the given context, this team is also just one, two straight. So when is Boston going to eventually regress to their mean on this really, the, these, I guess three and a half or maybe five and a half quarter stretch where they've been playing really great basketball. 
And when is Miami going to start to play their brand of basketball where it feels like when both teams play at their best, Boston will win nine times out of 10 because they are the more talented roster. But we've seen in this series that it's not necessarily the case. And we also haven't seen Boston win a tight basketball game in a while. It feels like I think game six in Philadelphia where Tatum had to have the 12 point fourth quarter to send it back to Boston. That's the last tight game in air quotes that they've won where they had to really go wire to wire the entire time. I don't think Boston can win a wire to wire game in Miami with Jimmy Butler. It just feels like a foregone conclusion. If it's a 97, 97 or 98, 99 Miami or Boston, it, I would take Miami. If it's two minutes left to go, I trust Jimmy Butler more than I trust Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. They think that speaks volumes as to Jimmy Butler as a playoff performer but it speaks to what Boston's shown us in the clutch in these certain situations. We've seen it game one against Philadelphia, game four against Philadelphia, game five against Atlanta, games one and two against Miami. Clutch situations Boston has not excelled at ever, it feels like. So I'm going to take Miami in six, and maybe we see history. Maybe we see Boston. If it goes back to Boston for game seven, you can guarantee that Boston and Denver will play in the NBA Finals because of that just dejection, it's going to be interesting to see it play out just because it's going to feel the same thing like Philly. They had a prime opportunity to close out at home, and now we have to go back to a rowdy, rambunctious TD Garden. So give me Miami in six, but if Boston's able to win tomorrow, then give me that NBA Finals matchup of the Nuggets and the Celtics. It's going to be an interesting thing. And with that, that'll conclude episode 122 of the man with the plan podcast subscribe if you enjoyed it and let me know what you want to see next i've got some exciting stuff an interview coming up very soon when i get back and some more series coverage for clemson baseball guys thank you so much for tuning in spread this where you can leave us a five-star rating if you enjoyed have a fantastic day and as always take care 